Um, Simon's going to be preaching to us from Acts chapter 6, uh, verses 1 to 7. And I will read that passage now if you'd like to open it up. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you. It's a great um, privilege and pleasure to be here and um, just wonderful to be in your chapel uh, service, which is led so keenly and um, <laughs> and is so hearty, you know, with uh, great music. I was here in the 70s and um, chapel was a very sleepy, dull affair and um, everybody looked like a rabbi in those days, so it's great to see some normal people. <laughs> And to have somebody get up as colourful as Ellie to read would have just been impossible. So um, <laughs> it's, it's a great transformation. I'm going to pray um, a prayer which John Stott used to pray before he preached. So let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we ask that your word would be our rule and our guide, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher, and that your glory would be our great concern. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you know the evangelist Rico Tice from the UK, but uh, Rico says in one of his books that he was asked by a friend, not a Christian, if there was anything exciting happening at his church. And Rico said, this is quite quick, uh, he said, yes, we're praying and we're reading the Bible. And the friend said, yes, but is anything exciting happening at your church? And Rico said, yes, we're praying and we're reading the Bible. Um, When you think about it, that is a very shrewd reply because we get familiar with the reading the Bible, praying. Um, We get uh, sleepy, thinking. Uh, Perhaps we get bored with the whole idea of uh, coming together and reading the Bible and praying. But there is nobody more wonderful to speak to I mean, imagine walking out of this room and saying, well, we've actually just spoken to the head of the United Nations or we've spoken to a president or a prime minister this morning. It would not be as impressive as speaking to the living God. And to hear from the living God through the scriptures is more impressive and wonderful than to hear from anybody in the world. So don't lose perspective as you come together time by time, to uh, pray and to read the scriptures and hear the scriptures. Uh, 
You'll notice that in Acts 6, the apostles agree with this. They think that the hearing of the word and the speaking to God is the most important thing they can do. And you'll notice in Acts 6 that God thinks the same because he stamps their decision with great blessing. You know that the book of Acts is really the acts of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he's overseeing the spread of the gospel. And there are times where the gospel spread is impeded. Uh, Sometimes it's from outward opposition. Think Acts chapter 4, where Peter and John are put in prison. Sometimes it's through inward corruption. Think Acts chapter 5, where you've got Ananias and Sapphira acting corruptly. And sometimes it's through inward division. Think Acts chapter 6. That's what we're looking at for a few minutes today. But the Lord Jesus very wonderfully governs the church and he leads them in the right direction in Acts chapter 6, which is not surprising because he loves them and he's died for them and he's now making sure that they go in the the right direction. This crisis in Acts chapter 6 turns out to be a turning point for the advance of the gospel. And I thought it would be good for our few minutes Uh, to look at this because every believer in every church is tempted to lose their way and needs to be kept on the way. Now, this is a little bit cheesy, but I've um, gone back to the drawing board um, for a a look at Acts chapter 6, and I've divided this into three points, uh, God's pleasure, God's priorities, and God's progress. First of all, God's pleasure, if you look at Acts chapter 6, verse 1, you'll see that the early church was growing, uh, increasing, healthy. Uh, Could a healthy church face trouble? The answer is yes. Uh, We're told in Acts chapter 2 that there were 3,000 added. In Acts chapter 4, there were now 5,000. In Acts chapter 5, we're told there are more and more. And now in chapter 6, we're told again that the church is increasing. So these are very exciting days. And we may never experience this. We may serve in a time of decline, faithful, faithful, but decline. Uh, In the mornings I use the little BCA prayer diary and I notice that a number of the places are completely vacant, uh, waiting and waiting for a pastor. And they often have a picture of the place and the place just looks like a piece of desert. And I think what a special person is going to turn up in that little town and um, take a ministry which may be very small and yet very significant. So here is a day in Acts 6 of great increase and uh, the problem that surfaces is not so much sinful but emotional. Basically, if you are listening to the text or you know the situation, the Greeks in the church who are now Christians are feeling that the Jews in the church, who are now Christians, are getting a better deal for the widow's support. And so this is a racial thing, and this is a justice thing, this is um, vulnerable women, widows, being poorly treated. It's got all the ingredients for a current affair to get hold of and report in their noble, fair-minded way. Let me assure you that um, in parish ministry, emotional issues surface very quickly. 
it may not be a heretical issue, but an emotional issue surfaces very quickly. And the trouble in the church is that the emotional issue gets invested with eternity. So there you are at the parish council and somebody says, uh, we're putting new carpet in the hall. Uh, we've managed to get a deal on this yellow carpet. And somebody else says, yellow carpet is a disgusting idea. A yellow carpet will not encourage young people to come and if young people don't come they'll not hear the gospel and they will go to hell because of the yellow carpet (laughs) and you find yourself dealing with a very emotional issue very quickly invested with great solemnity so this incident in Acts 6 which incidentally surfaces again I think in 1 Timothy 5 is to not lose the priorities of God's pleasure. So look at chapter 6 verse 2. The apostles say it would not be right if we were to neglect or literally leave behind the ministry of the word to wait on tables, which sounds like a very snooty thing to say. But they don't say waiting on tables is beneath us. I hope uh, incidentally you will be ready to do anything when you get into your ministry because I assure you and I won't go into details, but there are things you clean up in ministry which you have never dream of doing, and there are things that you do in ministry that you would never dream of seeing or smelling or tasting or feeling, and I hope you'll always be ready to do anything. But the apostles say that if it means that the ministry of the word is to be abandoned, that would be wrong. Now, why do they say this? Because in verse 2, they say it would not be right or literally pleasing. But pleasing to who? Or not pleasing to who? Because it would have been very pleasing to the Greek widows if the apostles had abandoned their job to help the distribution. But obviously, this is not pleasing to God. The apostles knew that it would not be pleasing to God. To neglect the word of God is not pleasing to God. It may please people, but it doesn't please God. Now, I know that this morning this seems very predictable to you for me to say this. I mean, this is like a motherhood and apple pie to bring this to more college. But I want you to know that distractions abound in the ministry. And especially if you end up in a parish where you're on your own or you've got maybe just one helper, you will find that you're doing a huge amount of stuff whether it's got to do with organising or planning or admin or graphics or music or whatever it is, a whole lot of stuff can be a, a big distraction. Unless there's somebody in the middle of the work who has the conviction of Acts 6, things will spiral downwards very quickly. You'll find yourself distracted from the preparation. You'll have less profitable things to say on the Sunday. Your people will be less clear as they listen. If that goes on week after week, they will become more and more a pastoral problem for you. And everything will spiral downwards. It needs, in the middle of the work, somebody with the convictions to stay with the priorities of the praying and the preparation. And you think how the Lord Jesus did this in Mark chapter 1, where Uh, There he is healing in Capernaum and he goes off to pray. And uh, people come and find him, you remember, and they say, come back, there are still sick people. There are so many people who'd love to see you. And Jesus, you remember, says, we're going on to the next village because I must proclaim the kingdom. The emotional wrench of not going back to 
to deal with the people who could just so easily be healed took a tremendous conviction on his part. So we need the conviction that the word is the weapon that God will use and also we need the conviction to get the point of the word uh, somewhere, as I say, in the midst of all the people stuff and all the email stuff and all the admin stuff, there is a need for somebody who knows that the word must be taught. Nine days ago, I went on holidays, and um, well, I was on holidays nine days ago, and uh, I went to a, a local church in the Sydney diocese, and it was a lovely church, and uh, the people were very friendly, very small church, 25 people. They were very kind and welcoming to us. They didn't know who we were. They hoped that we would join the church. Uh, It's always nice when you're new in a small church. You get surrounded by everybody who's hopeful and you have to explain that you're about to go over a waterfall and go somewhere else. (laughs) But um, I listened to the sermon and uh, the guy who preached was a young man from trained by Moore College and it was a fine sermon and I thanked him for it. But, you know, he spoke on the text from 1 John chapter 2, Don't Love the World. And if I could just speed up the sermon, it kind of went like this. Uh, Don't love the world, which doesn't mean don't love the trees and the flowers and the beach and all that sort of thing, but it means don't love the dangerous world. However, he quickly said, don't feel too guilty about this because um, Jesus died for your sins. And then we moved on to something else. And I honestly thought to myself as I sat there as an old preacher, I sat there thinking to myself, you know, I'm watching some men in front of me in this church and they're kind of flicking around on their phones. And uh, he doesn't want to fall into the trap of saying you're to hate the lovely world. He doesn't want to fall into the trap of saying the dangerous world doesn't matter. He's got to somehow work out how to say to the, to the listeners, don't love the world. And I thought to myself as an old preacher, you know, it would take me probably an hour or two to work out how to explain that in a way that made the men sitting in the church put their phones down and take some notice of what's being said and ideally go out of the building and say, I must not love the world. Do you hear what I'm trying to say to you? This work of the word demands a lot of attention, not just to get the passage right, but also to work out how the application is going to work. And I think to teach uh, 1 John 2 to the point of change in the preacher and in the listeners is really going to take prayer and preparation. It just won't be done quickly. You just won't be able to do it in a superficial way. So we're told in Acts 6 that it's not pleasing to God when the ministry of the word is lost and gets swallowed up by other things But I'm telling you, as somebody who's been doing it for a long time, there is often everything against you to get the work done. And to find a church where you can go and know that somebody behind the sermon has prayed and prepared so that you profit is a very wonderful thing. That's the first thing, pleasing. It's pleasing to God. Second, priorities, verses 3 to 6. It's always helpful, incidentally, to know what you're doing. And uh, these priorities in chapter 6, 3 to 6, are the great priorities. I was reading in the Herald the other day that a boy called Cade Lovell 
ran a five-kilometre race in the US. I don't know if you noticed this. When he got to the five-kilometre finish line, some lady stepped forward and said to him, you're running really well. So he kept going for another 5Ks and joined the men who were doing a 10K run and won the race by a minute at nine years of age. <laughs> I don't know why I'm telling you that, except that uh, sometimes some good advice takes you further than you were expecting. <laughs> And uh, here is some advice in verses 3 to 6. It's a very generous decision uh, because seven people are chosen mostly Greek. Okay? The Greeks are emotional. It looks as though the deacons are mostly Greek. And it's a very responsible decision because um, the 12 are going to stay with the very vital role of prayer and preaching without which the church is going to be diminished. So you'll notice that the pressure that's brought on the early church is to do some physical feeding and neglect some spiritual feeding. And the apostles recognise that unless there is some spiritual feeding, even the physical feeding will fall apart. And uh, sometimes it's only uh, one person, one pastor, one leader, who is able to see clearly that this is the way for the church and has to explain to the people that he will not be available to do absolutely everything because some time needs to be spent helping people grow and serve. Uh, I speak from experience here in the early days at North Sydney. The sermon was a very low priority for people. They, they, they wouldn't have minded at North Sydney if I'd spoken for seven minutes on a topic from the newspaper. It was a very low priority. And now down the track, I think I could say that uh, there's a lot of godly people who would protect me from a lot of distractions. And I'm so privileged to have some people who will say to me, we'll do the property stuff, you stay with what you're meant to do. And we'll do the finance, stay with what you're meant to do. And we'll do the admin and we'll do the music and we'll do the graphics and we'll do the meals for people. You stay with what you're meant to. That's the privilege of getting people to see what is being talked about in Acts chapter 6. Now, what are the priorities? Well, first, verse 4, we'll give ourselves to prayer and the word. Literally, we'll be strong towards these things, uh, just as the people in Acts chapter 2 were strong to the apostles' teaching. Now, the apostles are strong to the teaching. So, the crowd in Acts 2 are strong to the listening, and the apostles in Acts 6 are strong to the teaching. First of all, he says, we'll give ourselves to prayer. Now, why is this so important? Well, because the work is supernatural and somebody has got to say to the Lord, in the work, we can't do the work. It's beyond us. I'm not sure whether we, and I speak now as an Anglican from the Moore College, college uh, long time in the diocese here, I'm not sure whether we're famous for humble, heartfelt prayer. And I think we easily forget this. And although it's set out in Acts 6 as one of two priorities, it often falls to about 5% of what we're doing. And you'll say to me, yeah, but prayer is very difficult. And I agree, prayer is very difficult. And uh, you'll say to me that if you tell me to pray more, I will just feel guilty and I know exactly what you're talking about. So I would want to simply say to you, do not fall into the trap and the deceit of thinking that prayer is just a duty. Keep reminding yourself what a great privilege it is. Take yourself to the Lord. Take your family to the Lord. Take your concerns to the Lord. 
and be happy in Jesus. The other thing to say is that it is a brief, genuine prayer which is more important than a lot of ritual. One genuine cry to God, oh, oh Lord, here I am, I've got to go to more college and speak at the chapel. The lecturer is no more than I do. The students are absolutely filled to the top with stuff, with information. It's beyond me to be useful. Please intervene so that something is useful. One short, genuine prayer is probably more valuable than a lot of false prayers. And uh, if you remember back to Acts chapter 4, they pray very briefly but very powerfully that God would keep them bold in the work. And a lot of the prayers in the New Testament are quite brief. When the Apostle Paul talks about what he's praying for, they're quite brief prayers, but they are genuine. So uh, we're kidding ourselves if we think we can change people with our cleverness. If you imagine that you'll finish with a first-class degree, which is great, and then end up in a pulpit or a teaching position and you'll change everybody because of your cleverness, you are deluded. And um, if we think that we can just change churches with our strategizing, we're deluded. Uh, We must fight the fight for prayer. And when uh, we are tempted to get up in the morning and just go straight to emails and straight to phones and straight to whatever, it's absolutely vital that we give ourselves to prayer. The other priority, of course, in 6.4 is the word. Um, You'd think, wouldn't you, that if I said to you we should be churches or people marked by the word of God, you'll say, yep, we've heard this a million times. But why is it so difficult to find churches where the, the word is taught in a way that makes you glad you went and wish you'd brought a friend. That should be more common. It should be more common. We shouldn't be listening to sermons that drift away from the text and go off into detours as if the text is less interesting or valuable. We shouldn't be listening to sermons that have made no real impact on the preacher and therefore are not likely to make impact on the listeners. And we shouldn't be listening to sermons that have just been grabbed from a podcast and not from the hard work in the text itself. You'll notice that when Steve Smith goes to bat and bat and bat and bat, he has a bat. That's how he gets his runs. And when the Holy Spirit goes to do his work, he carries the word of God. And that's what you and I are to handle. And you think how the Apostle Paul echoed this in 2 Timothy 4, where he said, I'm speaking to you, Timothy, I love you, Timothy, and I'm saying this to you, Timothy, that before God, who will judge you, preach the word, in season and out of season, there'll be times where you'll wish you could just put the text away and talk about a person at a funeral, but it's the text that is needed. There'll be times where you go to a school and to bring the gospel to the school, as I do to one of the schools near us in North Sydney, whenever I bring the gospel to the school, the the emotional temperature drops about 50 degrees Celsius. There's nobody who wants it. But in season and out of season, we're bringing the word of God. We're correcting, rebuking and encouraging. And we're doing this whatever the market, whatever the itching is. And as Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.5, be steady, endure the suffering, do the work of an evangelist and finish your ministry. The priorities are praying and the word. Last thing, God's power. It looks from this text in Acts 6 as though God specially stamps the decision 
in a very clear and wonderful way. Uh, you see in verse 5, the church liked the decision. Well, that's great. And it seems from verse 7 that God liked the decision, if I might put it like that, because the church that was growing began to greatly grow. And I wonder if this has been recorded for us so that we might know every time we read it that this is pleasing to God. You can picture the Lord Jesus on his throne. He's organizing this discussion among the apostles and uh, he's given his life for the church and now he's blessing the thinking of the church and as the church makes this decision to stay with the word of God and to stay with the praying suddenly the word goes forward in great power and it goes deeply in great power even the priests are changed verse 7b Uh, These priests who may have been the ones who caused Jesus such a lot of trouble and are causing the apostles such a lot of trouble. It looks as though they're getting converted, which is absolutely wonderful. So the church is being threatened with a distraction which is likely to cause great harm. And led by the Lord Jesus, they make a decision into clarity and he stamps the decision with progress, which is uh, deep and wide. That's what we're involved in, dear friends. That's what we're involved in. Let me just uh, finish this morning by telling you that a couple of weeks ago, some lovely people from a Pentecostal church came to to talk to me, um, and they make little films. And they had been listening to my talks on the radio, and they thought that I was greater than I am. And they came to um, ask me some questions, and they sat, and we talked for an hour. And... uh, It was a lovely time. And at the end of the hour, they turned off the um, microphone, the camera, and the guy said, I wish I knew what your vision was. Well, I don't know what my vision is, really. And uh, he said, I'd like to ask you. So they turned the camera back on and the the microphone, and he said, what's your vision? And uh, just the day before, I'd been travelling with my wife in the car, and we pulled into a service station to get some petrol. And as I was standing at the Bowser, the petrol pump, I thought to myself... I am like a petrol pump. (laughs) A petrol pump is not a very attractive thing, but a petrol pump takes this tremendous fuel and puts it into a car so that a person goes a long way. You'll notice that next to the petrol stations, they now have fancy shops that sell flowers and chocolates and chips and papers but none of those things will help a car to go anywhere. What is really needed is the very plain petrol pump, which is going to take the fuel and cause people to go somewhere. And so I worked this up into an enthusiastic illustration with these three people, and I really did get quite worked up. And I said, you know, my great vision is that there will be these bowsers all over the country with people taking the fuel and filling the cars and sending people off. And uh, I got more excited than I normally do. And um, at the end of it, there was a little pause, and the three of them, this was so lovely, they said, wow. And they turned the camera off. So I don't know where that little film will go, but it's somewhere out there. (laughs) And uh, I just want to say to you, this is the great work that we're in. The great work that we're in. Nobody will properly understand it, but you taking the word of God, the fuel, you're causing people to go forward in faith and in hope and in love. It's the great privilege. And uh, as you've heard, it's my privilege to come and join you in a sort of part-time way next year. 
And uh, we all have L plates on. I still feel very much that I have L plates on. But if I can sit with a person and think with you about how to take this great word and communicate it well, that'll be a privilege. And I hope that uh, there'll be one or two of you that'll line up to do this conversation and talk about what you're preaching on, what you're doing in the ministry, how things might go forward. Um, If nobody comes to talk to me next year at all, I'll look for another waterfall and go over the cliff. (laughs) Let's pray. Let's bow our heads. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for overseeing the church that you love. We thank you for the way in which you governed the thinking and the decisions of the early church to guard the work of praying and preaching. We pray that you would strengthen people everywhere to have the same convictions in a way that pleases you, blesses many, and brings great joy. And we pray that you would help us in the work, that we might do it more faithfully, more effectively, more fruitfully. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.